Gracious God, as David said in the Psalms, make known to me your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths. And indeed, O Lord, we need your help. Lord, every time we come before your word, every time, O Lord, we hear your word read or preached, or every time, O Lord, that we open it up and meditate upon its truths, O Lord, if you do not teach us, then we cannot know. We ask, Father, that your spirit this morning would help all of us, including myself. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what you would have to say to us from your word this morning. Help us to see, O God, that you are a God who is righteous and we are not. And indeed, O Lord, you still forgive us. May we see, O Lord, your full and free pardon in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we see, O God, that you are a God who is gracious and a God who justifies sinners. O Lord, give us your grace, I pray, and help us. We pray these things for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Luke 18, starting at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In the Reformation of the 16th century, the light of the gospel shone in the darkness that existed at that time, the darkness of heresy and ignorance of the Roman Catholic Church. And the main doctrine, the main teaching that was recovered was this, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. How we are justified by God matters. Now to be justified in God's terms, in the, in the terms of God's word, is to be declared righteous. And it matters because it matters how we will stand before the judge of all the earth, how we will stand before God, whether we will be in our sin on that final day or whether God will see us and declare us that we are righteous. And yet we all have a problem because the scriptures unanimously declare that no one is righteous. Even as Danny prayed this morning from Romans 3, no one is righteous. No, not one. In Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, it says this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And not only are we not righteous, but at the same time we tend to be self-righteous. We tend to think we are righteous, and we tend to think we are more righteous than we are. In Proverbs 20 verse 6, it says this, A man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man... Who can find? In Proverbs 16, verse 2, it says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. See, our scales, the standards that we measure ourselves on, they're skewed, they're faulty. 
we tend to be pure and right in, in, in our own eyes. And that tends to be the way even when we argue with people. We seem to be right. We seem to always be right. We, by nature, love our own efforts. And you see this in culture. We love to be able to say, I've done it. I've accomplished it. And yet there's one problem. It won't work in the kingdom of heaven. Now the cure, as we'll see this morning, the cure for self-righteousness is true self-knowledge. I'm not talking about some mystical self-knowledge. I'm talking about seeing ourselves as Scripture sees us. Because by nature we're blind to our sin. By nature we have no idea of our sin and of our depravity and the wickedness of our hearts. And so this question this morning, how can we, how can you be justified before God? And as I work my way through this parable that Jesus told, I'm going to have three points. Firstly, the purpose of the parable. Secondly, the players of the parable. And thirdly, the prayers of the parable. Firstly, let's get to the purpose of the parable in verse 9. Have a look with me at the text. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. You see here that the reason Jesus tells this parable, and there's always a reason Jesus tells his parables. And the reason here is that there were those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And yet throughout all of the Bible... It says that we are to put no trust in the flesh. Instead, we are blessed as the one who makes the Lord his trust. And we will see here that the Pharisees are the very ones that Jesus particularly mentions here. They were self-righteous. And we'll see that in the next section. But in Proverbs 30, verse 12 to 13, it says this, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. See, Jesus spoke this parable because we, by nature, are self-righteous. We, we have an eye disease. I, I, I. You could say that we worship at the shrine of the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. We see ourselves so high that we tend to get altitude sickness. Our trophies, they're statues of ourselves. Our self-esteem is more pampered than the Queen's corgis. See, our problem is self-righteousness. And yet Jesus' kingdom is different. It's different. It's, it's, it's upside down compared to the world's thinking. No one struts into the kingdom of heaven. All come as, as beggars before God. And yet, if you have a look here, it's not just those who are confident and who trusted in their own righteousness, but they look down on every other person. They look down on everybody else. They treated them with contempt. Now, the Pharisees looked down on others. If you remember Zacchaeus, when Jesus went to his house, what did they say? That he's gone to be in the company of a sinner despising those who didn't match their own standards. See, if, if it's all about works, then you will tend to keep measuring yourself up, right? You will tend to keep measuring yourself up to others and to see whether or not you, how righteous you are and whether or not you balance yourself in your scales. But if it's all of grace, as we will see, we realize how unworthy we are before God. 
We realize how unworthy and how unrighteous we are, that we are more undeserving. We're not deserving of his grace. And so as Jesus tells this parable, it's important to understand the reason he tells it, because that sets the field for everything else that he says. And as we see the purpose, we see now the players of the parable, who they are. Have a look with me at verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now in 2 Chronicles 6, when, when Solomon was, had built the temple and, and he was dedicating it to God in prayer, he says this, he says this in 2 Chronicles 6, he says, And when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people, Israel, each one aware of his afflictions and pains and spreading out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, forgive and deal with each man according to all that he does, since you know his heart, for you alone know the hearts of men. And so Solomon's prayer to God was that in building this temple, that God would dwell there and that God would hear the prayer of his people, that he would hear the prayer of his people who repented and turned to him with their whole heart. And in that context, these two men go up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and one, a tax collector. And Jesus always loved to give polar opposites. In this temple... In this temple, many people came to pray, and yet we'll see these two people, two people. Now, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, there were about 6,000 of them in Israel, and the Pharisees were the religious elite. They were the ultra-holy. They were legalists, ritualists. They wanted to adhere as most as they could, as, as highly as they could, to God's law, particularly God's ceremonial law. And the only problem was that they added about 360 other laws as far as I'm aware, in order to help them to keep the laws God had already commanded them. And they added to God's law. And they were, law, they were known as the separated ones, or Pharisees. And they were looked up, looked up to in the Jewish community. So if anyone would be heard by God, surely would it not be the Pharisee? And yet here we have a tax collector as well. Now as I said in the children's talk, tax collectors, they were traitorous. They were disloyal Jews. They sold themselves to Rome because they collected taxes from those who oppressed their own people. And yet not only did they collect taxes, but they took extra and they fleeced the Jews. And whatever extra they took, they lined their own pockets. They were hated by the Jews, more, I think, than even Samaritans. They were hated by the Jews and despised. And yet, Jesus tells this parable, and he sets them at complete opposites. The two could not be more different. And as Jesus told this parable, I want you to put yourself in the, in the shoes of the Jews. Don't think like a Christian who's already read this parable and who knows this parable back to front. Think about how a Jew would picture this. A Jew would already be making up and deciding in his mind who would be accepted before God. He would say, yes, the Pharisee, he'll be fine before God. He's already prayed a million times. His prayers go on for a long time. His robes are long. He's always, he's always blowing his own trumpet and everyone sees him and how holy he is. If the crowds could have picked anyone for the righteous award, they would have picked the Pharisee. Who would you have picked? 
Who would you have picked? Who would be justified before God? And so not only have we seen the purpose of the parable that Jesus tells us to hone in on this self-righteousness that some have, particularly the Pharisees. Not only have we seen that, that, that Jesus tells this parable and that there are two people who are polar opposites and only one goes away justified before God. But we see here, and I will spend most of my time on this, the prayers of the parable. We see here the prayers of the parable. Have a look with me at verses 11 to 13. The Pharisees stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. You see here that the prayer by the Pharisee, it starts off well. It starts off well. But I want, to know, I want you to notice even before he prays, notice that he's standing there by himself. He stood up, and it either can be translated standing by himself or standing up he prayed to himself or about himself. But you can see here that he's not praying directly to God. He's not doing it with a view to pray to God and humble himself. He loves himself. He thinks he's an island of righteousness with his, with his reefs of external religion to keep out everything else. He's his own island of self-righteousness. He's wrapped up in himself. Now he seems to start off well. He addresses it to God. That's a good start. And then he says, I thank you. I thank you. That's also a good start. We had to pray with thanksgiving. And yet what is the reason he thanks God? What is the reason that he thanks God? Even though he mentions God, his prayer gets no higher than the ceiling. Just because he mentions God's name doesn't mean that he's actually praying to God. He starts off well. He says, I thank you, God. What does he say? He says, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. See, he looks over at the tax collector and he sees this hated, this despised Jew. And he says, I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that I'm not like this scumbag. He very well knows that the tax collector is there. And he looks at the tax collector and he prays and he thanks God that he's not like him. He is so arrogant. And this is one of the things that Jesus focused on in Matthew 23 and in Luke 11. Jesus is, is saying, woe to the Pharisees. Woe to the Pharisees. Because if you have a look next, why is, why, what is the Pharisee putting up about himself? He says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth, or I tithe, all I get. And yet Jesus says this, he says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and the love of God. And so you see here, not only does this Pharisee despise this tax collector, but his righteousness is based on the ceremonial law. He focused on lesser matters. Was it wrong for him to tithe? No. Was it wrong wrong for him to fast? No. And yet, that was what he trusted in. That was what he majored on when he should have been majoring on on love for others, when he should have been majoring on actually loving this tax collector. Tithing, 
fasting, all that the Pharisees did was to be seen by men. When they put their coins in the plate, they made sure that everyone could see that they put a lot of money in. When they fasted, they made sure that everybody could see how, how supposedly in grief and mourning they were. And I want you to have a think to yourself this morning. There are things that we have which we can be tempted to trust in. Giving as well. Maybe even attending church. Maybe reading the Bible in your own times with the Lord. Maybe you think to yourself, I've just got to read this and I'll tick it off. Maybe in your prayers you try and pray flowery prayers that they'll be heard by God. Maybe it's serving it at this or that. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is wrong with those things. Praying, reading God's word, going to church, serving, serving a church. But do you elevate it? Do you trust in it? For the problem wasn't the deeds itself. It was the fact that this Pharisee trusted in it. It's that the fact the Pharisee put his, his pride and his trust in these things. And he elevated his self-righteousness. And I want to ask you this morning, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, is there anything that you're trusting in? Because our hearts... Our hearts, as God works in them and as He makes us more holy, we can still sometimes slip into trusting in some way or another in our own good works. We can do things to be seen by others. See, the problem is not what He did, but the motive behind it and and the fact that He trusted in them. Now, David in the Psalms, for example, in Psalm 26, He asks God and he seems to proclaim his own righteousness. And he says to God that he's walked in his own integrity. And so he asks the Lord based on his own integrity to hear his prayer. So how is this different from the Pharisee? How is this different from the Pharisee who's thanking God that he's not like other people? And this is the difference. David isn't saying that he was free of sin. He wasn't saying that he had no sin because we read elsewhere that David knows that he's a sinner and he repents even more than I do, certainly. He knew his sin. As a reading from Psalm 51 this morning, he says, I know my sin, it is always before me. And yet David, in his general lifestyle and in certain matters, obeyed God and walked in his ways. He never trusted in his own righteousness. And yet he could say in certain situations, Lord, I have been faithful with others in how I relate to them. And yet this Pharisee, he trusted in his righteousness for his whole acceptance before God. He was blind to his sin. Now the Pharisee in reality, he had his own standard of righteousness, not God's. He didn't compare himself to the righteous mirror of God's word, the righteous standard of God's word. He compared himself to what he viewed as the gutter trash. Notice he doesn't compare himself here to God's word. He compares himself to the the robbers and the adulterers and to this tax collector. And if he was better than that, then in his own eyes he was great. In his own eyes he was great. And as, I want, as you look into your hearts this morning, do you have any self-righteousness? 
any pride in yourself, friends, Satan will use anything he can. He will use even your good, the good things that you do and make you trust in them or take pride in them. Do you view others as lesser because they aren't as holy as you? Do you view others as lesser because they aren't as holy as you? Friends, if there is an ounce of this in your heart, if there is a a trace of pride in your heart, remind yourself of God's grace and of Christ's righteousness and not your own. Remind yourself that you have no righteousness before your God that is not from Him. That is not from Him, either from Christ or worked in your heart now by His Spirit. Maybe you think to yourself this morning, do I need justifying Do I need justifying before God? Every person, every person must be justified by God. Some will trust in in themselves to get it. We see here the second player in this parable, the second person. We see in verse 13, have a look with me there. It says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. The first word there, but. He's set in direct contradistinction, in, 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 in contrast with the Pharisee. The Pharisee had said, look at me, and yet here it says, but. And Jesus wants us to get this. It says, standing far off, he stood at a distance Not in self-righteousness like the Pharisee. Not in trusting in himself, but in lowliness and unworthiness. He was too ashamed to even lift his eyes to heaven. He could not even lift them up. He beat his chest in mourning over his sin. He knew what a sinner he was. In Psalm 51, David says this, Later on in verse 17, he says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite spirit. A broken and contrite spirit you will not despise, O God. The first two beatitudes that Jesus tells, he says, blessed are the righteous. No, he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are like beggars who hold up their hands before God with nothing to give, no righteousness of their own. None. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin and over the corruption of their heart. This, this tax collector, he knew what a sinner he was. He knew. And he confessed. He confessed. How do you confess your sin? I know I certainly, when I confess my sin, I do not have enough sorrow over it. Do you confess it with shame? Do you confess it with tears before God? I know that I rarely weep over my sin, and yet I should. What is his prayer? He says, be merciful to me, a sinner. In Psalm 51, in the beginning of it, as I read, he says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me according to the abundance of your steadfast love. Blot out my transgressions. See, we have no other grounds to plead except the mercy of God. 
No other grounds. Do not give me what I deserve. Have mercy on me. And later on in this chapter of of Luke 18, a blind beggar, he says, Son of David, have mercy. Have mercy on me. The thing is, your prayers, they can be just like this. They don't have to be long. They don't have to be complicated. Sometimes you just have to say, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. That's all your prayers have to be. They can be, help me, Lord. Help me. They don't have to be long. They don't have to be filled with with too many words. They can be simple. Casting yourself on God's mercy. Why? Why did this tax, tax collector say to God, have mercy on me? Because he says, look at the next words, a sinner. And more properly translated, the sinner. The sinner. As if he was the only one on earth. As if there was no other sinner. Now the Pharisee, he had compared himself to this tax collector. And yet this tax collector, he said, have mercy on me, the sinner. Paul said that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, of whom I am the chief, the the greatest. See, a truly repentant heart will not compare itself to others. It would see itself for its sin and its sin alone. In Daniel 9, as Ali read out for us, Daniel is praying and he said that they've sinned before God that they've done wrong before God, that they've acted wickedly, that they've rebelled and that they've turned aside. And he uses all of those words to describe sin before God. And at the end of it, he says, O Lord, hear. He's pleading with God. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. And that is what the one who goes home justified needs to do. Who went home justified in this parable? I know who the crowd thought. But here we have the sinner, the tax collector. He goes home declared righteous before God. Doesn't that sound crazy? That should to our ears. In Romans 4 verse 5 it says that God justifies the ungodly. Does that shock you? I want you to think about those four words. God justifies the ungodly. Or three, even, God justifies sinners. That should shock us. That should shock us. We should think, why on earth would God do that? If we knew who God was, how on earth could he justify sinners who have, who have, who have rebelled against him? And yet we see from scriptures again and again that God forgives and justifies sinners. He's in the business of it. He does it again and again and again. But how? And that comes to the heart of the gospel. Because even though, even though each of us is the sinner, Christ was treated as the sinner. That all of our sin was placed upon Christ. He who knew no sin, God made to be sin for us. He died for all of those who see themselves And when they're convicted by the Holy Spirit as those who have sinned against God. See, Christ was was the only one who was actually righteous before God 
And yet he was the one who was treated as the sinner before God. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And he never treated sinners with contempt. He was hard on only one group of people, and that was the self-righteous Pharisees. But sinners, he treated them with tenderness and kindness and mercy. God justifies the ungodly, and he does it in Christ. He does it in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you think to yourself, I'm too sinful for God to ever to justify me. And yet, as I said before, God's in the business of justifying sinners, those who repent before him. You cannot be too sinful to be justified. Christ and his sacrifice are of an infinite, sufficient value to cover every sin. But why wouldn't God want to forgive someone better than me? Why wouldn't God want to justify someone who's that little bit extra better than me? Maybe you're thinking that to yourself this morning. See, Christ did not come to call the righteous or the self-righteous, but sinners. He came not to call the righteous, but the unrighteous, that he might bring them to God. Jesus came into this world to save sinners like you and like me. Maybe you think to yourself this morning, I must clean up my life a bit first. I must, must do this and I must do that. Maybe I'm going to clean up my area, this area of my life here or maybe clean up this area of my life there. And after, then I'll come to God. Or, or maybe when I do that, God, God will justify me then. And even if I repent, but I, I try and, and do this and that. No, you can't. You can't do anything to merit salvation from God. Verse 14, it says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself before God will be exalted. See, if we come to Christ as a beggar, even as Christians, we come to Christ as a beggar. When we sin against him, when we sin against our Father, we come with open hands, with nothing to bring. We come to him and we plead for mercy. And when we do, we have this promise. That God justifies the ungodly. As it says, he will remember our sins no more. No more. When we come to Christ for the first time, he justifies us and he forgives us. And even now as Christians, when we come to Christ and ask for forgiveness, he will forgive us. He is just and he is faithful to forgive us and sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, Christ is the most blessed and the most gracious Savior that we could ever hope for. Come to Christ. He will have mercy on you. Who is justified before God? Those who come to him, who humble themselves before him, and those who, come, uh, those who humble themselves and those who come and cast themselves on his mercy and his grace. Let's pray. Lord God, you are gracious. Lord, if we knew even the smallest bit of our sin, Lord, it would shock us that you would dare even to forgive us our sins. And yet, Lord, if we are in Christ, 
Lord, you would be unjust to hold our sins against us. For you have already paid them and you have put them on Christ and he has paid for them at the cross. Oh, gracious God, I pray that you would help us to see the, the, the sin in our hearts. And Lord, every time we sin, to come before you and cast ourselves on your grace and on your mercy, knowing that they have been paid at the cross of Christ. And knowing that that Christ has atoned for our sins because he's been risen from the dead. Oh, Lord God, I pray that indeed you would help us if there's any trace of self-righteousness or pride. I pray, oh, Lord God, that you would forgive us for it. Lord, help us to always look to Christ and his righteousness. Lord, help us to cast ourselves on his mercy, for he is a gracious saviour indeed. We thank you in his name. Amen.